Blog Talk Radio. Radio Talk Show. I'm your host, pop art painter Jamie Rocks, and this is the big show. You found it. I'm sure I'm glad you did. I am super, super jazzed for today's episode. Um, I know, I know I say that on every episode, but in particular today, um, we have a, a fantastic guest. He is a uh, author and um, just a cool cat. Uh, he's a diplomat, a, a world traveler. He's extra- one of the most intelligent people that... Um, you know, that I've, I've come across um, just on <laughs> current events and, and not only on current events, but also, you know, ancient mythological events uh, from Finland and whatnot. Uh, I would like to, he's written a couple books uh, based in that world and, and man, I'm just blown away. I would like to welcome uh, Mr. David Allen uh, Schaeffler. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, David, you, you I came predict, pretty, I'm pretty close, Jamie. It, it's Schlafer, uh, but I give you a lot of points for effort because it's a, it's a difficult name. So, oh man, I'm telling you this this entire show. Let me just tell everybody. I'm I mean, this is like some of the names that we're going to be talking about <laughs> um, from Finnish mythology. It's like reading the, the the glossary in the back of the Lord of the Rings or something. Oh my God, I'm just looking at it and I'm like. Fourteen continents in a row. Okay, I can handle it. No, it's just not that bad, but it's oh baby. Um, so you, uh, you know, David, you you started out um, group in Texas, for if I remember my uh, notes correctly, right? Yep, I did. I grew up down uh, in Magellan, which is uh, right down at the border with uh, Mexico and, and pretty close to the Gulf Coast. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So down from Corpus Christi and Houston and all that. Yeah. On down further, to the point yep, there. Exactly. Yeah. Right at the tip of Texas. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So you obviously said, you know what, uh, this is cool and everything, but I, I want to see the rest of the world. So I better, uh, you know, study hard and uh, get the heck out of here. And, and you just decided to go everywhere. <laughs> You kind of hit the nail on, uh, nail on the head. It was a, a pretty isolated area, you know, especially when I was a kid. Uh, and, you know, I'm fond of it. My parents still live there. I go back. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I think one of the reasons that I opted for the type of uh, career or life that I have probably is uh, uh, growing up in, in kind of an isolated uh, place down there, especially pre-Internet and, you know, in, in the world that was. Uh, before uh, all of this good stuff now. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's zany. It's zany. I, I tell you, I uh, I remember those days. Matter of fact, uh, you know, we were kind of talking off mic before the show about the uh, – well, I, I don't want to get ahead of it. But, um, yeah, I, I had feelings from that world. I think uh, maybe I'm a little older than you. Maybe yeah, we're probably the same neck of the woods. Um, that I had as a kid that I, I thought were – you know, regarding the Cold War and <laughs> – Things I didn't right. really think I had to worry about anymore. Um, exactly. Definitely came bubbling up. Uh, oh, my gosh. Anyhow, so 
you joined the Foreign Service and uh, became a diplomat. I've never met anybody in that uh, world. Um, is that like almost akin to the military? Do you have like do they ask you well, what would you like to serve in China, or do they just assign it to you know you're going to Greenland? How does that all work? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Uh, so language is really big in the Foreign Service, uh, and maybe part of where you're going to be serving depends on uh, any languages that you know you come in come in with, especially if it's a very hard language. If if you join the Foreign Service and you already spoke uh, Chinese, for example, as long as you want to, you know, it's a pretty good chance that you're going to be assigned uh, a couple of times during your career. Uh, to China, uh, but there's definitely mm. that element of uh, you know you are you're you're serving where the department needs you and and where the president needs you, um, and you know that means that you can wind up going anywhere at any time. I mean, I served in Iraq, for example, you know back in the day wow. when the conflict uh, was going on, uh, and, and did a tour where I, I was actually attached to uh, a military element to uh, it was the Third Brigade Combat Team. Uh, that I served with at that time. So there's an element of uh, of that as well, uh, being directed uh, to an assignment mm. if that's where the uh, that's where the need is. Oh, amazing, amazing! Hey, I know it's it's almost like a trope, but but I, I'm very sincere. I thank you for your service. I'm glad that there's people like you doing that particular type of work in the world. You know. Um, I, uh, very, very kind of you. No, I, I appreciate that, and uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone ever gets tired of hearing that. It's, it's nice when you know someone uh, says something uh, kind to you. So that's very kind of you, Jamie. Well, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I, I think uh, the problem, a lot of not even a problem, just a, uh, I wish people had in the world, in our country, at least I should say. Have, have traveled more. Um, I'll put it that way. Uh, it, I think a lot of the problems we have as a, uh, as, as Americans, uh, in general, I'm speaking, is a lot of people don't realize the world's a big place. There's different cultures, different people. Everybody's pretty much trying to do the same thing, you know, provide for their family and, and, and do right and whatnot. Um, it, it, there's not so much otherness. Uh, as, as I think a lot of people, you know. Um, right, yeah, no, I understand yeah. what you're talking about. I hear you. I don't know. I've never come across any, like, hardcore racist people or anything that said, oh, yeah, you know, I just I just got back from India, and I just went to the last year. You know, I mean, it, it expands your horizons, absolutely. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, um, oh, it's crazy. So let me ask you this. Now, you wrote... Uh, the book, the the uh, this is book number two that you've written, the heir of, oh man, here I'm gonna try it. Um, Limekine. Try it out. You're, it's pretty Limekine? close, so I'll give you some more brownie point. Lemonkinen. So very very close. Lemonkinen. Awesome, awesome. Now this is uh, part two in this book, so there, there's a part one, obviously, uh, unless you're doing like a weird. Quentin Tarantino nonlinear thing, and, and maybe that comes out. But I don't want to confuse people. Um, it is uh, this is part two, but it, it's based in the world of Finnish Finnish mythology, as I understand it, correct? Which is different it, than Scandinavian mythology, right? Yeah, it is. So the book that has just uh, come out that you mentioned, uh, Jamie, Arab Lemminkainen, is the uh, 
the second book in a trilogy. So it is a trilogy, an epic fantasy trilogy. First book uh, came out last year, uh, and that is called The Mark of the Bear Clan. So a little bit easier to, oh. to remember there. Uh, and the third book, uh, hopefully, uh, I think should come out uh, this fall. That's uh, what we're talking about right now. Uh, and as you mentioned, Jamie, yeah, exactly. It is set in the uh, in the world of uh, Finnish mythology and folklore, uh, completely distinct uh, from the Norse folklore. So, you know, we all know the, uh, the Nordic stuff. Uh, we know the characters like Loki and Thor and Odin, uh, you know, both from so many different uh, fantasy uh, uh, series that are kind of set in that world, and also the films, right, and the movies that have come out over the past decade uh, that have been so popular. But not very many people realize uh, that Finland uh, has its uh, its own national epic, as they call it, the Kalevala, uh, this very, very rich and, and very amazing uh, folklore, totally separate, you know, Finnish language, absolutely unrelated to any other Indo-European language. So it's not related to German, Swedish, Norwegian, you know, any of the Romance languages. It's in its own linguistic group. Um, and that is how all these, the, these things arose, these myths. They're stories basically mm. that, you know, the early Finns carried with them from the Russian steppes all the way into Finland when they migrated. They were passed down for centuries in an oral tradition, and they were only uh, written down in the 19th century, not, not that long ago, relatively speaking. Uh, and that is the world, let's say, uh, that I based my, my story and my uh, trilogy in. Um, I thought that would be something really new uh, for fantasy fans, for English-speaking fantasy fans, uh, who probably have, oh, have never heard of that or haven't heard very much about it. And that was the, the genesis of the, the whole thing. Well, you're you're absolutely right. I um I know very little. I mean, people probably left. One of the things um, I have a background in art history, so of course from school I picked up a few things, you know, with with that um, because ninety percent of of art was uh, you know uh, religious and mythologically based. That's what people right, you right. Know, were painting for a big chunk, but um, a lot of uh, uh, different mythology and whatnot. When I was a kid, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. That's how I yeah. got the Norse. And, you know, I mean, I kind of, they kind of touched base on that. I didn't know that much about Finnish mythology. I knew bears were a big deal and trolls were a big deal. Um, lived under the ground, upside down world. I knew that. Uh, yep. But I didn't know the details and whatnot. And I said, and one of the other, let me just, segue real quick, because I think this is the coolest thing in the world, David. You have a video trailer for your book. Who does that? That is awesome. <laughs> um, I was watching that, and I'm like, i got to read these books, man. i got to get them. i got to read them. Uh, this looks fascinating to me. I, I thought it was really cool, too. So, you know, the, uh, the artist who put that together, who works with my publisher, um, I, I thought they just did a great job. It, it really, you know, it captures the essence of the book, uh, but it just captures the feeling, I think, of, you know, kind of Finland, this very melancholy and nature-oriented uh, part of the world. So I, I, I thought they did a great job, too. I really liked it when I saw it. I, I was really excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, 
It always seems overcast to me. Well, maybe it's just not an overcast, but, but foresty, you know? That was the big thing, as I understand yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Dominates so maybe, everything. So let me ask. No, no. In 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 writing, you know, deciding to write these, uh, that's pretty cool. What a what a project! Oh my gosh. Um, I assume you had a background in Finnish language and whatnot. So a little bit, you know. Where, where I actually learned about this the first time uh, was just when I was a little kid, and my parents had some of these books, and you may remember some of these too, Jamie, because you know we're more or less the same same generation, and uh, remember there used to be these big kind of like hardbound books that would be like Reader's Digest or Time Life series, you know, Religions mm. of the World or Ancient Mysteries. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so they had a bunch of those, and one of them that they had, um, I believe it was one of, a Reader's Digest one, was on uh, folklore of the world. And um, in that book, it was, you know, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, all that stuff. There was a section, three pages, I can remember it, you know, like it was yesterday and remember the pictures <laughs> on, on, on the Kalevala and on Finnish folklore. And, you know, even before I could, could really read, let's say, when I was four or five years old, I was looking at those books and, and looking at those pictures. So it came to my attention at really an early age um, and, you know, as I got a little bit older from time to time, I would read a little bit more about it, uh, you know, find out a little bit more and, and, and start to uh, just do some research out of, out of, you know, just my own interest in it. And like you, I was a big D&D fan and, you know, started to read J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and became a big fantasy fan. But it, it really kicked in in one of my assignments. I was assigned to Helsinki, to the U.S. Embassy in Helsinki, uh, in the 2000s, in the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s. And I studied Finnish for an entire year before the assignment. I was the only student the whole year, so it was a really, really singularly, uh, you know, lonely and unusual experience, but really cool. Um, and then I was there for almost five years, and it gave me an opportunity to really delve in to the language and the culture, and I joined the Kalevala Society. Um, and, you know, I'd always been a writer. And I, I had always done some writing. I had done some articles on the connection between Tolkien and, and the Kalevala and Finnish language and some stuff like that. Uh, and it was during that time mm -hmm. that I decided, you know, I, I really wanted to to turn to this, uh, especially for English speakers, for, you know, people that, that – don't have a lot or have not had a lot of access to this, uh, and, and to write a, a true epic fantasy series that was set in this world, you know, with the language impacting it, the the emphasis in Finnish culture upon nature, uh, and, and the challenge of the environment, uh, and this incredible source material, right, this incredible inspiration uh, of, of the Kalevala, and to pull all that together uh, into something for a more contemporary uh, audience, and that was the that was the germ, that was the genesis of the idea, and that's how I got started. What a project! What an undertaking! I mean, you know, Tolkien, as I understood, it, took him his whole life. You know, I mean, and he woke up, thought about Middle Earth, spent the whole day thinking about it. Before he went to bed, he was thinking about Middle Earth. You know, and um, I mean. Just to take on a project like that, uh, and, and you said, well, <laughs> you know, not only am I a globetrotting diplomat, um, <laughs> let me take a crack 
Oh, my God. It, 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 it did take a long time, Jamie. So I wrote these three books. I wrote them consecutively. You know, I didn't shop mm. it around to a publisher or anything after the first one. Um, and it was over a course of about seven or eight years. So it did take uh, quite a while. It was a labor of love, and I wrote them all over the world. I, I wrote some of it in Iraq, literally like in an MRAP as I was, you know, tooling around the desert with the, with the third BCT. Uh, some in Japan, some in Washington, uh, all over the place. And, and if you can believe this, I actually did it longhand. I, I wrote in oh my gosh. I, I wrote the entire – I'll never do that again. <laughs> I learned my lesson. But, you know, it, it, it lent itself to that given that I was moving around so much and, and probably had a very atypical writing style, uh, and that was just a function of necessity, Right. Because, um, you know, I, I was moving around so much that I never knew when I would have time or have an opportunity to, you know, spend a few hours and, and be in the mood uh, to, to, to right. do so uh, and in that, in that right place. Um, and so I had those notebooks with me all the time, every place I went. Uh, and whenever the two things aligned and came together, um, I would be able to take that out um, and I would be able to, to keep moving along. But it, it was a long, a long labor of love, and again, about seven or eight years to do the entire, uh, the entire series, and, and then almost a year, I will admit it, to go ahead and get it, like you know, entered uh, in and, and, and the editing and everything, just to uh, get it into a Word document after that, uh, and oh to uh, begin to, to you know, finally craft it into something that was that was ready for prime time. And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www.jamierocks.us, www dot j a m i e r o x x dot u s. Metal Babe Mayhem is more than just an online store. It's a destination. MetalBabeMayhem.com carries over 150 rock and roll products, including clothing, jewelry, and accessories. Metal Babe Mayhem also offers shrine clothing and alchemy gothic jewelry. In addition, Metal Babe Mayhem founder Allison Metal Babe Cohen is a rock and roll journalist who supports local and national artists with rock and reviews, interviews, playlists, networking and more. Metal Babe Mayhem is taking over the world one shirt at a time. My Love Shack Apothecary online shop has everything you need to build a special gift for yourself or someone who needs a little pampering. I hand make all of the products in small batches using only plant-based ingredients and therapeutic grade essential oils. Whether you choose one of my curated sets or want to build a custom gift set, My Love Shack Apothecary has everything you need to send a little sunshine to someone today. 
please visit us online at www.loveshackapothecary.com. That's www.loveshackapothecary.com. As well as online on Instagram and Facebook. Links are in our website. Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, ranked one of the top cancer centers in the nation for the last 27 years. The doctors at MD Anderson treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime, and treatment plans are tailored to an individual patient's needs, allowing more comprehensive and thorough care. To become a patient, please visit makingcancerhistory.com. Aloha. If you have stress in your life or even anxiety and panic, I want to invite you to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast for a way out. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast is a relaxing and inspiring show, bringing you lifestyle changes to calm your nervous system and help you heal. Heal anxiety, panic, and PTSD for life. We bring you two episodes every week. There's no need to walk this path alone. Join us for a relaxing, informative, and inspiring time and start your journey out of anxiety panic. That's anxietycoachespodcast.com. Aloha. Gear, the online webshop of high-end luxury merchandise and products. All featuring original pop art paintings, from La Holla to Miami to London, www.merch.jamierocks.us. And just, you know, listeners, so you're aware, just to put it in perspective, um, let's say one day you wake up and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of selling insurance. I want to do something else with my life. I think I'll become a sturgeon. You're looking at seven or eight years there at school. I mean, that's what you could do in that period. That's just the amount of work we're talking. Uh, something else, David, you know, you're, you're, you're telling me this with the, uh, the longhand manuscripts and, and, and whatnot. I have collector friends that will probably hear this and just start salivating. They're like, oh, yeah, that, i got to get a hold of that. That's going to be worth a lot of money one of these days. Well, I, I, I tell you something. I I I I, I hope that I, I get to see them again. So actually, right now, um, and uh, you know maybe this is a segue to some other oh, questions no. you had. But those notebooks are in Kiev. They are in Ukraine. Uh, um, and as you and I were were talking about Jamie, that was my my well, it is right now my current assignment uh, in the Foreign Service. And I was in Kiev uh, until the until right before the invasion. Um, and we had to leave everything there. Um, I left uh, with, you know, whatever I could pack into uh, four suitcases and get into my uh, car. Uh, that's what I was able to leave with. And I had some very difficult decisions to make. And I concentrated on photos and, you know, other things that were of that type of emotional or spiritual importance, yeah. let's say stuff of my grandmother's that I had there, you know, the same thing, you know, things that my wife needed, and, and she had already left at that point, and one thing that didn't make the cut 
were the the notebooks. There were just too many of them mm. and, and too big, and they are still there. And I, I hope someday we will see those. And I'm more hopeful now than I was the night that you know I was making those decisions at, at 3 a.m. Uh, oh, that, that we'll have our stuff back. Uh, but that is where um, where all that is. You know, the the original notebooks and so much, so many other things that I had related to this project are all there, uh, locked away right now in keys. I'm telling you, David, I. When when we first when I got the press when we first were introduced to each other and all this you know for the for the podcast and promoing the book and whatnot I added you on Facebook and um, I uh, I looked at your Facebook page you know as, as of course here, here's a, especially with Ukraine happening you know and here's somebody who's you know big wig at the Ukrainian embassy you know I mean of course I'm gonna look you know and I scroll yeah. down and I. I this was a public post, so I, I'm not saying anything out of uh, telling any tales out of school or anything. I, I teared up, man. I, te- I I didn't even know you personally. And I showed my wife. I showed my wife the post. Your wife had posted. Uh, it was on your page. Uh, I, I believe I, I saw that uh, there. And it, it was uh, – she didn't know what was going on. Last year, yeah. heard you were I know the one the you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I know the one and you're I, talking about. I, me and my wife, we've been together probably 10 years now, um, or close to it. We finally got married uh, a couple of years ago. We got married a week before the world shut down, you know, for the pandemic, yeah, right. um, <laughs> the pre-crisis crisis. And we had been married about three weeks, about a decade before that. I had had a hernia that I let get out of hand, and I wound up having to go to the hospital for three months while they fixed everything. And, um, you know, and, and survive that and whatever uh but anyway we get married apparently something went wrong with it and i wound up having to go back into the hospital only for a week uh this time thank god <laughs> only one surgery this time but um right. it, it was during the the covid stuff that it just happened everything wow. wow and so my 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 wife and she's She's a couple, you know, she's like 10, 15 years younger than me. She, um, and she was new to this, you know, new to being married, uh, even though we had been, you know, we'd lived together and all that. Uh, then all of a sudden I was in the hospital and she couldn't come see me. She didn't know what was going on. And right. we talked continuously on the phone. Um, and, and she, bless her heart, was kind of losing it a little bit. You know, I mean, the world was in a weird place. And, um, you know, and our dog's freaking out because I'm not home and all this stuff. And I, I, I was reading her this post, and I said, just imagine, and she goes, oh, I, I, she doesn't know where her husband is, you know, and they have children, and this is the father of the, you know, are you kidding me? And I said, and this is what not only this person is dealing with, but the whole country, you know, and it really brought brought home um, just the craziness of this uh, and I don't even want, I don't even, I, I joke a lot around a lot and whatnot, but this isn't a joking matter. I mean, this is a, a terrible, tragic situation that I wish we were doing more about. Um, but, you know, that's, I don't know. There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks. Everybody's like has an opinion on Ukraine. I was very, uh, you know, it's just a, a crazy situation. And you're in the middle of it and, and working in this situation. Um I'm glad everybody's okay that in your core group there, um, man, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. 
it, it is and, such and, a tragedy. I'm, yeah, it, it, it's just absolutely terrible. Um, I think that we had indications, you know, for some time that it was possible that something was going to happen, but I, I, I don't think that anyone believed uh, that, uh, you know, Putin was really going to go for this, you know, whatever, total solution you know, full-on ground invasion, World War II type of uh, of a ground mm-hmm. invasion of Ukraine. It's uh, it's shocking. It, it really is. Uh, I think it was shocking. Is shocking to the whole international community. Um, and to to have been there and to have, you know, uh, played some role uh, in the in the early days in particular uh, was. Uh, you know, in a way, it was heartening because I wanted to do anything I could to do my job and to help Ukrainians. I'm the senior assistance coordinator for Ukraine, so I was uh, really engaged with uh, humanitarian assistance oh, yeah. and other kinds of assistance going in. But you know, on a personal level, I, I you know, I'm, I'm never going to put myself in the same category as those tens of thousands of people, mainly women and children, uh, that I saw at the border trying to get across into Poland, you know, leaving their mm. husbands, their fathers, their families behind, you know, as a diplomat, obviously, you know, you know that you, you have a way out, so to speak. So I would never put myself right. in that category. But uh, it was still a very surreal, you know, experience, uh, you know, leaving Kiev like we had to do. First, we moved to western Ukraine to Lviv. We were there a short period of time. Then we moved across the border uh, leaving everything behind, seeing the scenes of devastation that were taking place. You know, I was not in touch with my family for certain periods of time. They were already in D.C. They had been evacuated in January. Uh, and like you mentioned, Jamie, of course, you know, they're freaking out and, and all of our family members of, you know, all the diplomats and military yeah. personnel we had there. It was a, a very difficult uh you know, time, it, it's its not an easy lifestyle. A, a lot of people, um, you know, when you think about being a diplomat, there are a lot of privileges in, in a lot of ways. I think most of those privileges are just the experiences that you have uh, that are so mm. incredible. But, you know, the, the vagabond lifestyle, you know, so to speak, of, of constantly moving, uh, it does take its toll, and it, it really takes its toll on families uh, because they're the ones that I think really kind of bear the brunt of, you know what the uh, uh, what the, the the FSO the officer what she or what he you know living out their dream of you know working in a certain area maybe a certain part of the world the the sacrifices are, are really made by your family members who don't have or enjoy the kind of stability that most people take for granted and that was really the case in this situation so um, I'm really grateful to uh, be here I'm in the States right now and have a chance to see them for a little bit I will go back next week and I will return to uh, my team uh, that is working in Poland and you know just continuing to do all we can do and I I, I think the story of Ukrainian resistance is amazing no one would have thought uh, that oh, they yeah. could have done this and I, I think we all were afraid that Kiev was going to fall in just, uh, you know, a few days or a week. And so that's an amazing story. But, man, it has come at a price. Uh, so many Ukrainians have been killed. Uh, so much of the mm. country is just in ruins. I, I was in those cities just in October and November in Mariupol, the city that is besieged, you know, in the southern part of Ukraine mm. on, on the Sea of Azov and that is, you know, probably – 
unfortunately going to fall, you know, today, tomorrow, in the next day or two. I was in Kramatorsk, where this new offensive uh, is headed toward. I was in Kharkiv. Uh, for me to have been there so recently um, in, in both an official and a personal capacity and now to see, you know, what is happening, you know, the very places where right. I stood and the, the people and my friends and my contacts that I was working with there, you know, some of whom we've never been able to get in touch with again. It is a tragedy. I don't think that the world is going to be the same. Certainly Europe is not going to be the same. Uh, but uh, I'm confident Ukraine is going to win. I don't know, you know, how that's going to come about. I don't know what the end game is. Uh, but I know the spirit that the Ukrainians have shown, and it is a losing effort for Mr. Putin. He is not going to win. There is no way that they are going to, you know, to take this country and, and somehow occupy it or whatever. Um, and, you know, at some point, this is going to end. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how do they think they're going to do that, right? It, it's not going to happen. It, there's there's no rational strategy behind it, and uh you know, again, I'm very confident the Ukrainians are going to prevail, uh, but unfortunately, it is just going to come and has come at such a horrible cost. And you know, life oh, and, and cities and architecture and art and people and and just a terrible, terrible cost. And it, it, it's a really, really saddening thing. You know, I'll be honest with you. In the first few days when the Russians invaded. You know, I was working as hard as I could, uh, you know, to help. But at the same time, I was really questioning, like, whether I could continue to do what I'm doing long term, if you follow me. I mean, it was kind of an oh, yeah. existential crisis for me. Yeah, and I was like, I just don't know you after this if I have, you know, do I have the will or the spirit to keep doing this when I'm witnessing what I'm witnessing? And, you know, I think I'm over that. And I, I think I've overcome that, uh, you know, to some extent. But... Um, and, and I had this conversation with so many of my colleagues, and they felt the same way. It was just such a, a, a catastrophe and a tragedy. I think we all really questioned whether we could, you know, kind of like with PTSD, right, whether we could move on mm. and, and continue to function effectively going forward or whether it was time to hang up the hat. Uh, but I'm, I don't want to leave my family, and that's not fun, but I am anxious to get back, and I'm anxious to join my colleagues and my friends, and, you know, to keep uh, to keep fighting the good fight, so to speak. And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www dot jamierocks dot us www dot j a m i e r o x x dot us hey rockers this is stacy lane wilson author and editor of the rock and roll nightmares book series i have a new podcast that features interviews with musicians artists authors filmmakers and music historians in season one I interview Phil Susan from Ozzy Osbourne's band, Scott Crawford, the director of the Cream Magazine documentary, Lisa S. Johnson, the award-winning author and photographer of the books 108 Rockstar Guitars and Immortal Axes, just to name a few. The Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast explores the dark and mysterious and sometimes funny 
side of music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Enjoy on RSS or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Glittering amethyst, energizing citrine, colorful fluorite, the other side of the sun, Earth's treasures brought to light. Since 1999, we have offered a unique collection of hand-selected minerals and gems for every budget, for novices, collectors, and healers. Visit www.tosots.com to view our wide selection of offerings and use coupon code ROCKS, that's R-O-X-X, for 10% off your first order. Remember... T-O-S-O-T-S dot com. Earth's treasures brought to light. Hi folks, Jamie Rocks here. Hey, if you're a big fan of uh, historical, cool historical books uh, like me, then you're going to want to check out our newest uh, show sponsor, Michelle Albion. Uh, fantastic author. She's got some really interesting, cool books out uh, that you're going to want to check out. I'm a big fan of all of these. Uh, the Florida Life of Thomas Edison, the quotable Edison, quotable Henry Ford, uh, quotable Eleanor Roosevelt, and, of course, the quotable Amelia Earhart. Uh, Michelle's just very keen and, and very, very cool, um, and these are just very cool books. So check out her website. Uh, there's links to uh, where you can pick these up on Amazon and Barnes & Noble all over the place. Uh, MichelleAlbion.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-A. L-B-I-O-N.com. MichelleAubion.com. Very, very cool stuff. Check it out, folks. Well, it's, it's, it, it, you're right. The, the resistance that I think surprised people. I remember a conversation many, many years ago uh, when my father was still alive. He was a Marine. Uh, had been in through the Vietnam era. And um, we were talking about, you know, just war and, and one of those conversations. This was a long time ago. And uh, I said, well, what do you think the big, the big issue with Vietnam was? You know, I mean, I'd always thought that, and to me, the U.S. military seems like, you know, that scene at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back when the uh, Empire shows up and those walkers are coming at the base right, across right. the the plane. It just seems like the, the technology we have is usually so overwhelming against uh, opposition that it would be something akin to that. And my father said, well, that's all great and everything. We're, I'd mentioned that. And he, said, but he goes, when you're fighting for your home and your family, you, you bite the yeah. bullet a little bit. I mean, it, it's hard to beat somebody fighting for their family and their home. And he said, that's the problem here in Vietnam. Absolutely. I, I see that, and I think another issue with, with the Ukrainian, the Russian aggression, that I think a lot of Americans, at least people I know, um, tended to think they, they confuse modern Russia with the Soviet era, and they're like, oh, well, they've got all this, I, I, you know, I, this whole thing has shown me, oh, there's a lot of corruption going on in the Russian military, but you can't get food to your troops? What the heck is that? You know, Um Really overcome, and I think Putin has kind of showed that to the international, you know, the world. We ain't as good as we thought we were, or as you thought we were. 
Um, yeah, I think that's a real, a real shock and a, and a real surprise, too. Uh, you know, clearly, I think everyone is reassessing Russian capabilities, and it clearly came as a shock and surprise. I, I think you're very perceptive. You make a good point about corruption uh, and probably how that has eroded, uh, you know, what the Russians thought that they had. Uh, and, you know, it's surprising. <laughs> they've done really well in a lot of this asymmetrical warfare in Syria, you know, where they've been active for some time and, and some other related parts of the world, you know, smaller scale conflicts. Uh, but it does really seem like they're fighting yesterday's war, right? I mean, they're using, you know, armor and, and, and using it in an outdated way and, uh, you know, not able oh, yeah. to coordinate attacks. So they're just throwing, you know, one element after another after another and they're being, you know, chewed up and eaten up. Um, and, uh, you know those troops are demoralized. I mean, we know they are. Uh, we have evidence of that. You know, you absolutely. You see their social media. We see the guys that have been captured by the Ukrainians, uh, and and lots of reports. Uh, and, and, it, and it gets back to that first point you made, Jamie. The Ukrainians are fighting for their national existence. They're fighting for their state, for their country, for their nation, for their culture. Um, and uh, you know, there certainly are times in history where you have, uh, you know, countries with whatever, aggressive ideologies or something, you know, National Socialist Germany, let's say, right, that had like this religious fervor uh, to it, you know, about, you know, what it was going to do uh, by, by conquering these places. But there's nothing like that, you know, behind uh, Russia. It, it, there's not some kind of Soviet-era, you know, pan-universal Marxism or whatever uh, that they think they're spreading. Uh, there isn't any existential threat to Russia itself. Um, it, it's nothing but uh, like a bullying type of tactic, basically, uh, in order to terrorize this country and the state and, and, and reduce it. And that's not a, a lot of motivation, obviously, for a bunch of these 18 and 19-year-old you know, Russian soldiers oh. that are finding oh, themselves in a conflict with their cousins, so to speak, right? And and they have to be questioning, why are we doing this? You know, why are we terrorizing people that, you know, look like and sound like, you know, my grandparents and, you know, my, my own family, my <laughs> brothers, my sisters. And in so many cases, there are those linkages. You know, I mean, there's huge family linkages between people on both sides of those borders. So I think it is a big advantage for the Ukrainians. You're absolutely right about that. And, you know, 10,000 tanks notwithstanding, uh, I don't think any of that can stand up to, to the resolve that Ukraine has in the long run, um, although it can do a lot of damage, obviously, and, and right. take a lot of lives. And it's, a, it's just a tragic, tragic thing. And, and for nothing in the end, right? Just, just for absolutely nothing in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 and again, I'm getting my information until talking with you, David, from CNN or, you know, stuff I see on the TV. And um, and, and I'm smart enough to know uh, that, you know, anything you see on the TV, you know, watch the commercials. That's really who's, you know, paying the, writing the check um, on any news agency, you know, uh, maybe outside PBS or something. But, you know, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm going, I'm thinking to myself, haven't Putin, didn't, haven't any of these guys, some of these generals played Risk? This is stupid. What they're, you know, they're like, oh, this giant convoy, this 40-mile – I'm like, okay, yeah, you can stop that. You blow up the guy at the front, you blow up the guy at the back. Convoy's not going anywhere, you know. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's 
that, that's risk 101. Um, and, and if we can see that, and if you can see that on, you know, every news website everywhere in the world, then, you know, you know, the Ukrainians can see that too, right? Uh, and it just right. kind of kind of, kind of, of boggles the mind. It just seems to be, you know, like yesterday's, yesterday's conflict, you know, yesterday's war, so to speak, yesterday's tactics, uh, and again, for no, no coherent, coherent reason. Uh, no real advantage to to Russia to do this if you know they they had a lot of leverage over Ukraine in so many different ways mm-hmm. right they, they they did uh and they probably could have accomplished you know political goals or whatever they wanted to to do in in a, a very very different way and uh they have succeeded in uniting NATO uniting you know the international community and the EU <laughs> Uh, Sweden's they, jumping they, on board now. Well, yeah, exactly. Them. You know, you see Finland and Sweden moving toward NATO membership, and uh, all they have accomplished is to weaken in every way possible their own position while committing mass atrocities in the process. So it, it's right. just uh, it, it's just a terrible thing. And what I don't get is, is Putin was part of that whole Soviet thing. I mean, in my opinion, and I'm very simple, Dave. I am a, a guy who paints pictures for a living. You know, I mean, I'm no expert <laughs> on anything. But it seems to me the big problem with the Soviet system um, was television. You know, people, they might have been watching Baywatch on a black and white TV. Right, right. Pamela Anderson running down a beach seemed like a whole lot better than standing in line for bread. You know, I think that was a right. big part of the fall of that. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. And... You know, one of the things Russia, obviously, they're pretty good at making Twitter bots and whatnot. We get that influence, you know, oh, they're going to influence an election or politics of a foreign. Yeah, we get it. They're they're real good at that. Why would they chuck that out of, you know, the, the house and, and go, yeah, let's do a, I, I'm patent. Let's invade Berlin. You know, I mean, yeah. this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, it does you know, I, I don't get it, but. You're you're not alone in, in not getting it. So <laughs> I'm glad that um, you know I'm kind of glad that it is. If anybody's earned NATO right, I think it's Ukraine. You know, um, NATO's really shown. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I think they should be fast tracked. But that's just my opinion. You know, what do I know? What do I know? But amazing. <laughs> Let me ask you, David, you mentioned your wife and whatnot. No, did you, were you, not to get too personal on you, and if I do, just say, Jamie, no, that's okay. question. No, no problem. Did you meet, were you guys, like, together prior to the, getting the big Kiev assignment, or did you so meet her sure. earlier? So, yeah, it's, we've, we've been married. I mean, it's not dissimilar to, to your story. Uh, she, she and I were both married uh, previously, so uh, we had uh, mm. Uh, we both had kids, and we've been married uh, around the same uh, same period of time. She is actually Romanian, um, and oh. uh, was born in uh, Romania. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, her family on her father's side uh, were Ukrainian. They were ethnic Ukrainian, uh, and mm. uh, you know, there's a lot of that all over that part of the world, obviously, because of how the borders have changed. Uh, and so that was just a uh, coincidence as far as our key assignment. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, um, 
uh, uh, actually met in Japan, of course, because of course, where, where else would it remain in an American, you know, meet? And uh, she's uh, she's an interpreter. She's an interpreter and a linguist and a translator. Uh, and she had studied Japanese in college, so she was there uh, doing that, and that's where we met. Uh, we've got uh, some older kids, and, and then we have a little girl. We have our little four-year-old girl, um, and so that is uh, that is our family. Um, and so for her, you know, it's not just the the horrible thing of having to be separated and being evacuated and everything, but I think that, you know, she feels that very, very strongly, very personally, because she is from Eastern Europe, uh, not from Ukraine, but still from a neighboring state, yeah, from Romania. Still. She is very fearful, obviously, of what is going on. Her dad is still there, and he is right mm. up at the border uh, with Moldova, you know, very close to the border with Ukraine. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there is that personal element and that personal, personal dynamic too. Um, and I think anywhere up and down the Eastern flank, as we call it, you know, from Finland up at the top, uh, all the way down to Romania, uh, and Moldova, there's just a tremendous amount of apprehension right now because you just don't know what's going to happen next. And you don't know if there's that possibility of the, you know, the impossible happening and it's spilling over into uh, the rest of Eastern Europe and the nightmare that that would, that that would entail. Absolutely. And I'll tell you the thing, and all these people are, I'm sure, very aware of this, these despots, these bullies, they don't just stop. They don't just go, oh, you know, if this would have went a different way, uh, like they thought it was going to think, at least I, I assume they thought this, and they, they, they took Ukraine in a week, you know, then you start looking at these other co- – well, do we stop? That was pretty easy. Let's keep going, guys. And, yeah. you know, all these other countries are seeing that going, mm, you know, that, that, ain't, that ain't good. Um, not what we want. I don't it, – it's, it's crazy. Well, I'm, I hope her family, everybody – I hope this just gets resolved as quick as possible. And I get, I get that, you know, we're, we're walking a tightrope here. Like we, I mentioned to you before we even came on the air, you know, um, we're in the same age and whatnot. You know, right there at the beginning, I think it was week two when he put his uh, his nuclear people on alert. Um, I forget the terminology. Uh, his nuclear crew. Um, there was a term that they were throwing. Out. Anyway, it didn't matter. Um, yeah, man, I was worried. I hadn't been that worried since I watched the day after in like I don't know whatever that was, 1984 or something, 83. Um, I had Cold War. Concerns. Didn't sleep for a couple nights, you know. Um, yeah, no, it, my it, it is. Here in South it, Florida, going, do we need to worry? Um, <laughs> you know. It is. We Let thought alone, that this you know. was, you know, a remnant of uh, the 20th century of the past, right? And uh, it's just, it, it's interesting to me, but sad that you know I like, uh, you know, went to school, went to college, right when the Cold War, you know, was ending. Uh, but, you know, grew up uh, in that period and all through high school, you know, the wall came down and I started oh, yeah. my diplomatic career, you know, a few years after that, uh, so to speak, uh, and that my my career as a diplomat began, basically, uh, with the end of the Cold War and the peace dividend and all that uh, that they talked about in the 90s. And now it uh, it will end, I mean, not immediately, but, you know, as I you know could transition into uh, probably the last part of my career, all that is coming back. 
uh, and it's mm. kind of you know you know bookended by you know 9/11 in the middle and all and all of that insanity. So I, I wouldn't I'm have seen it. I'm... Yeah, wouldn't have ever thought it would have come full circle and that we would be all the way back again to the European theater. Uh, and Russia uh, being the, you know, the nexus of kind of everything bad that's going on in the world. Absolutely. And, and you know, I will just say this. I'll use a little podcast platform here to say this. Uh, a general thing to humanity, get it together, folks. I should be painting on Olympus Mons by, by now on Mars, and we're messing around with this. Come on. Get it together. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you um, on you that, know. Jamie. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me ask you this now, um, real quick with your, your wife and children you mentioned. Any of them shown, um, you know, that, that the writing, they might uh, have a little bit of the writing bug? Um, I think so. Uh, so two, two of my kids, uh, my, my older kids have both done a little bit of writing. Uh, and okay. my, uh, my, my son in particular, um, I think, uh, may wind up uh, following in my, uh, in my footsteps to some extent. Uh, he's in college right now, uh, and he's studying in uh, Minnesota. Uh, but uh, he definitely has done some interesting stuff, and uh, certainly a really big reader, um, and uh, different genres. Uh, but he definitely likes fantasy and sci-fi and dystopian type stuff. Nice. Uh, so we'll see. <laughs> so I keep giving him a little bit of a push, and uh, I think he may uh, may go in that direction too. And that would be really cool. That would be neat. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, as you know, David, um, we have a lot of, uh, you know, film people on the show and whatnot. I'm just throwing this out there for any of the producers that might be listening or whatnot. Man, this would be a really, you know, Lord of the Rings did okay. Um, you know, made a little bit of money. This might be uh, something to consider uh, turning into a, you know. I can, I can only agree with you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, we, we've thought about that, and, you know, obviously I, I've talked about it with my publishers and everything, and, uh, you know, the exciting thing is to get the books out, and that's what we're focused on right now, but it, it, it does lend itself to that kind of treatment. It, it is a, a sweeping epic um, and, you know, grounded in, a, you know, a very realistic world, uh, and um, obviously these types of stories and these types of projects are very, very popular now because I think they, you know, they just get at something universal uh, in all of us, oh, these yeah. conflict of good versus evil and the ambiguity between, you know, those extremes and exploration of that. Uh, and so if that happened one day, uh, I think that would be, uh, I think that'd be a really neat thing. It's uh, some great source material. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and people eat this stuff up. They they love it. I think they like escapism. I mean, I know I that's my uh, impetus uh, for for uh, watching a lot of film or a lot of reading. I do is um, it's nice not to have the news on for a little while. And uh, you know, uh, imagine what life would be like if I was a Viking. That's all I'm saying. I, I think or, you know, uh, absolutely, or yeah. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I agree. <laughs> it's uh, it's cool. It is cool. Let me ask. Let me ask you on a, on a technical question because I have a I have a good friend of mine. Um, she is uh, she's going to kill me for this too, and I'm going to see her a little later. Um, she's younger, and she's decided she wants to be a writer, and she's written a couple books already, uh, and she's doing she's shopping them out and 
trying to get agents right. and all that right. stuff, you know. Um, yep. And my advice, she was asked, she goes, well, what do you think, you know, I should be focusing on? And, and my, as a painter, I always tell any young person that asks me, they're like, oh, I want to do what you're doing, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, draw three hours a day minimum. Um, and do that every day. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to have to work. Um, yeah. Try to do four if you can. Um, the more you work, the better you get at something. That's the whole point of that. Uh, do you, Would you give that same advice to young writers and whatnot? Just keep at it? Yeah. I, I think there's really something to that. I mean, uh, you really need to perfect your craft, and you're only going to do that with with repetition. I mean, it's like being an athlete in a very real way, you know. Uh, if right. you want to, to, to become adept at any sport that you're engaged in or whatever it is, whatever activity, it's just those repetitions. And I think it's the same thing with writing. Um, and, and I think just as important, though, with writing is, is reading you never want to stop reading. You want to read voraciously. I mean, I think, you know, most writers probably already do that. Uh, but you're mm-hmm. only going to be a better writer by reading very, very good reading because you're going to emulate that. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You know, you're going to be affected and drawn toward good writing. And, and you're going to learn uh, uh, and see many different styles um, and you, you'll figure out that you have an affinity with a certain style, uh, and you can really begin to, you know, use that and develop your own version of that. And, you know, you never know where your inspirations are going to come from. So, you know, you and I have talked uh, about, obviously, Finnish folklore. I mean, that is the basis for the Far Northern Land Saga uh, and for my story, uh, but uh, in that book, there are influences of Tolstoy, uh, and the way that he and Anna Karenina, you know, his, his, his great book that, that I love so much, I've read it uh, several times, this double drama he had with two protagonists that, you know, they don't meet for oh, almost yeah. the entire book. And then they come together, you know, Anna and Levin, if, if, if you've ever read it, if you remember that, oh, just yeah. in one scene and, and then they go their separate ways even though they're both involved in this larger story and all the people around them are involved with each of them. Um, that is the Mark of the Bear Clan. That is the, the first book uh, that I drafted. That is the narrative structure. The two protagonists, uh, the little girl, she's only a girl, in the first book, Ula, uh, who is the girl with the Mark of the Bear Clan on her shoulder, the scar uh, from being mauled by a bear that marks her, and that sets her off on her path to being a shaman, to being a wizard. Uh, and the other protagonist, a young man, uh, in the first book, they, they get older as the series progresses, Agen. That is the narrative structure. It is Tolstoy's structure. Uh, they only come together in one scene, uh, even though they are both uh, involved and embroiled in the same drama, as it were. Uh, so, you know, there, there's an influence from classic Russian literature uh, on a fantasy novel. Uh, there's another part of the second book uh, that uh, really inspired me uh, was completely different genre of literature, uh, of Civil War literature, um, and mm. a book called The Killer Angels. You may remember back in the 90s, there was that movie Gettysburg, that, that amazing oh, yeah, like yeah. battle scenes in that movie, uh, and uh, Jeff Bridges was in that, um, and a whole lot of uh, famous actors um, and uh, there is a, a, a scene 
uh, in um, in my story that was very, very heavily influenced in a character that was very heavily influenced by some of the characterization in that mo- in, in that novel. Um, and you even see a little bit of, of it in that movie. So I think you get these, you know, disparate sources of, of, of inspiration that may have nothing to do with the genre that you're writing in or the story. Right. But it's like, you know, a little insight on personality or a motivation of a character that you've read about. And you're like, oh, wow, you know, I can take that and I can adapt that to what I'm doing. Um, and it's really going to work. Um, And that all comes about just, you know, again, reading a a really diverse uh, uh, and a a group of literature, a group of books with a lot of depth. Um, And and the other piece of uh, of advice that I would give to a writer, to an aspiring writer like your friend, Mm -hmm. um, is when you've got your book and you've, you know, edited it and edited it and gone over it again and again, um, and for the very first time, you're trying to get an agent or you're trying to get a publisher, and it's always hard. First time is the most difficult. Um, save a little bit of money, spend a little bit of money, and get your book edited professionally before ah. you start shopping it around. Uh, because there's just it's such a tight market. There are so many people now, uh, because of how you know technology has progressed, because of the internet, etc., that are writing right. uh, than in the past, and that's a great thing. But what it means is that agents and and, and publishers are inundated and overwhelmed. Um, and you want to put forward a product that is the very best. The best writers in the world have editors that go over their material, you know, as you know, Jamie, again and again and again. <laughs> there is no one, you know, it's not Stephen King, it is not anyone who does not have multiple editors and multiple edits before their work sees the light of day. Um, and it's an investment. Uh, you know, you can find lots and lots of independent uh, editors, uh, uh, and not just proofreading, but real editing. A little bit of investment, right. but if you do that, you know, especially for that first book that you're trying to uh, get out there, uh, it's going to pay off because it will be a very polished product, and that is going to stand out uh, to the agent that is reading it, and you know. They're only reading like the first 10 pages or something maybe, right? You've got just that little pitch in order to try to draw them in. Um, it's, a, yeah. it's money well spent if you can do it, and it's a very uh, a very good investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, what great advice on so many, no matter what you're doing, you know. And, folks, he's right. He's right. You know, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a big Tarantino fan, you know. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, if you if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, watch it and uh, but understand there's a lot of Assyrian legends going on in there. <laughs> you never find out what's in the briefcase, but you should, you, if you know King Arthur, you know what's going on. Um, yeah, and spend a little money. I man, I just I tell people this all the time, and and people I said, Jamie, you're so old. Nobody. I always tell people, spend fifty bucks, get some business cards made. Number one. You set yourself out uh, apart from everybody because nobody else has them, you know. And, um, you know, just be smart. Like any deal, play when the odds are in your favor to win. And if you can make those odds be a little bit more in your favor, do it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. That's amazing. That is amazing. Well, David, I could, you know, 
you're fascinating, man. I could do one of these three-hour Joe Rogan podcasts with you and, and be riveted the entire time. But I know, uh, you know, you've got things to do and whatnot. Um, and, you know, a lot going on in the world of David Allen. Uh, David Allen, uh, man, I'm going to say it again. I was going to try to. Schaeffler, uh, right? Did I say Very, The L is what trips people up. It's Schlafer. So it's just like Schaefer, but it's got that. Got that L in there to the devil people, but you're, you're pretty close. I love it. That's that's you know that's going to be the, the the author everybody has to read, um, <laughs> you know, in, in five years and advanced literature classes and whatnot. Um, very very <laughs> cool. Um, I want to let people know because I should have mentioned this earlier, and I apologize, folks. Uh, we have links up uh, to uh, David's website, uh, all his social media and whatnot. And I know I harp on this on the show a little bit, folks, but it's so true. We live in an algorithm world. If you dig somebody, whether it be an author, a filmmaker, you know, a baker, what doesn't matter, like and share their social media. Um, chances are your friends are going to dig what you dig. You know, that's why your friends, common interests and whatnot. Um, so very, and it helps get the word out. It helps get the word out. Now, David, yeah. on your website, uh, there are links to where people can can purchase your your books right yeah absolutely uh there are some passages some more information the maps are on there uh and a a fairly well-known fantasy cartographer she goes by the uh, her her creative name is misty b uh drew the maps i think they are so cool and that's such a big part of any fantasy (laughs) series and the links are all on the website and you can send me a message there too you can leave a message for me uh i love uh getting uh messages from uh from fans and uh am always uh, writing back and forth uh with folks so it's it's all there davidschlafer.com well amazing and i'm so glad to have met you sir you know um when all of this this world settles down and we both know that the world never settles down. It, it, it may settle down in a part of it. Um, I, all I'm going to say is, you know, uh, you now have a friend in South Florida. <laughs> you and the missus and your little girl want to, you know, get away from the snow or something. But three hours from Disney World. That's all. That, 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 that sounds great. If, if I am in that next <laughs> of the woods, I will take you up in that offer, uh, and let's go grab a beer together. Absolutely, absolutely, or an ale or something. I don't know what they drink in um, ancient Finland, but I'm sure it was probably <laughs> mead or something. I, I would be down for that. Um, very, very cool. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on. And, um, again, positive vibes for you and your family. And, and, and once again, thank you for the job you're doing, man. I know it's hard. Thank you, Jamie, and just a great uh, great time today. Really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up uh, for us today. We will be back tomorrow with another cool interview with a, uh, another cool guest. So, you know, tune in for that. Um, I got an email the other day or a tweet uh, the other day, not an email. It wasn't even that. It was just a, a tweet on Twitter. People were saying, well, how do we know who's coming up on the show? If you go to my website, uh, or poprocksradio.com, you can see who's going to be coming on the show for the next couple weeks. Uh, we're pretty good at keeping that updated. So be sure to check it out and, uh, you know, all of that. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Have a great day. And also, a uh, you know, we've been talking about Ukraine a lot on here. I have a direct link. I don't get a dime. Of it. It's nothing to do with me. It's just I put it up on the website. 
to uh, to help. It's for the uh, the Red Cross in Poland. There, uh, they're doing. You know, <laughs> they could use all the help they can get. Uh, you know, it's all hands on deck. If you got a couple bucks and uh, you know you want to do help out somehow, that's probably a pretty good place to go. As far as I know, so do what you can. Okay, folks, be nice, be kind, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, David. You rock. This has been pop art painter Jamie Rocks' Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. It has been executive produced by Jamie Rocks, recorded at his studio in Deerfield Beach in South Florida. All rights reserved by Pop Rocks Limited for broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. Tana Oli Pop Rocks Radio. Estás escuchando Jamie Rocks de Pop Rocks Radio. Manténganse al... Hey, de Harry Hicks son Sverige och ni lyssnar till Pop Rocks Radio med Jamie Rocks. Blog Talk Radio.